Remember last time they had buses being shipped up from Massachusetts? Hundreds and hundreds of buses. No. Nobody remembers that. Because it didn't happen. Liar. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Oh, here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. How's the voting going? In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing your globe five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I want to start out, got a lot to get to, uh, with what suffices for good news today. Even if it is, sadly, only common sense news but that is in short supply in this nation of late, so we will take what we can get, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yes, indeed we will. So, no promises. Anyway, the Nevada Democratic Party will use paper ballots for early voting in its caucuses after Iowa Democrats attempts to use a specialized caucus data gathering app to report results crashed and burned last week. Yay! So (laughs) early voting on paper ballots, common sense, but yeah, apparently that is news. According to a memo published by the Nevada Independent on Tuesday, early voters for the February 22nd caucuses in Nevada will check in using an iPad app called Google Forms, but there will be a paper voter card uh, as a backup in case all fails. Well, that's smart. Then they will fill out a paper ballot that will be scanned at the end of the uh, at the end of each day to be counted with the results of the full precinct caucus on February 22nd. Though there was no early voting that I know of for the Iowa caucus, they did cast ballots there as well on hand-marked paper, but things fell apart when they relied on that smartphone app to transmit results to party headquarters after the otherwise orderly caucusing. This uh, Google form will have an address, a URL, that will supposedly be protected by a, quote, series of security mechanisms, according to The Independent, to prevent hacking. Though why a paper poll book is not good enough, that remains another question. But I guess Democrats like uh, tempting fate. 
the chair of the uh, North of the Nevada Democratic Party already promised last week that the party would not use that same app that was used in Iowa. They had planned actually to use that as well in Nevada. But now the uh, chair of Nevada Democratic Party is saying Nevada Dems can confidently say that what happened in Iowa caucus last night will not happen in Nevada on February 22nd. What will happen? <laughs> that remains to be seen. They are also using pencils and hand-marked paper ballots in New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation primary election on Tuesday. With about 40% of Granite State towns hand-counting those hand-marked paper ballots at the that, polling place. I was told that was impossible. It, it is possible, apparently, because they've been doing it for years in New Hampshire at the polling place right after the close of polls. The other 60% of the towns use 20-year-old Diebold-made optical scan computers to tabulate results that nobody bothers to check by hand afterwards unless there is a requested recount by one of the candidates. So we will have whatever results, uh, verified or otherwise, that are available for you out of New Hampshire on tomorrow's broadcast. But uh, one New Hampshire point I need to hit very quickly here today. On Monday night, uh, Donald Trump held a rally there in Manchester and once again used one of his favorite evidence-free lies about voter fraud in the great state of New Hampshire, claiming that out-of-state voters illegally cost him the state of New Hampshire in the 2016 general election. Remember last time we won the primary tremendously? We should have won the election, but they had buses being shipped up from Massachusetts, hundreds and hundreds of buses. And it was very, very close, even though they did. But this year, you know, we have a great governor, Governor Sununu, great governor, Chris. And now you get prosecuted if you do what they did. So it should be a lot different. Yeah, no, actually, you get prosecuted if they do what they did even back in 2016 under federal law. So the fact that nobody has been prosecuted for it is not because the governor was no good. It's because Donald Trump is a fantasist and a liar. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of buses coming up from New Hampshire, going to the polls, dr dropping off, what, 70 people at a time to vote. And nobody got any pictures of those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of buses full of apparently residents of Massachusetts voting on Election Day in New Hampshire. And yet there is no evidence and not a single prosecution for those hundreds. And even if it was only 100 buses, by the way, that would still be about 7000 illegal votes by voters who I guess are registered to vote both in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And yet nobody has been able to show even one such voter in the three years since the 2016 presidential election, even Republicans in New Hampshire are furious about that BS lie from Trump, uh, which he continues to repeat over and over again over all of these years, despite zero evidence to back it up. But that is part of his claim, you know, that he won the popular vote in 2016, uh, which he actually lost by some three million votes to Hillary Clinton. But he says he won it because anywhere from three to five million Illegal votes were cast for him, and yet nobody has been able to find any evidence of it, even though he has been president for three years and could have sicked his Department of Justice on that uh, case to find any one of those, oh, I don't know, three or five million voters. 
clearly he has no problem doing whatever he wants with his uh, corrupt Department of Justice at this point. Hope to talk about that more as well on tomorrow's show. But I do love uh, that, according to uh, AP, the Trump campaign actually admitted some dirty tricks on Monday night themselves in New Hampshire. Since I guess they've been allowed to cheat in this year's elections by Republican U.S. senators at his impeachment trial. So now he's going to keep on doing it, just as Democrats warned. Trump's campaign advisors are saying openly that his rally in New Hampshire on Monday night was meant, in fact, to bollocks things up for Democrats. They hoped that the Secret Service restrictions accompanying his Manchester rally would clog up the streets in the state's biggest city on the eve of the Democratic primary, hampering Democratic candidates and voters from getting around. So I guess taking a page from Chris Christie's uh, New Jersey Bridgegate there, Desiree. Yep. Time for some traffic problems in Manchester. But that's what he's been allowed to do, thanks to the Republicans in the U.S. Senate, the corrupt Republicans in the U.S. Senate for this corrupt Republican president. Attempts to monkey wrench Democrats this year are already underway as Republicans hope to sow division by claiming to support Bernie Sanders and the claim that the DNC is rigging the primary against him, either because Republicans believe supporting Bernie would give Trump a weak Democrat to uh, run against in November or because they want you to believe he would be a weak nominee. But they're also trying a similar scheme in a key U.S. Senate race in a battleground state and paying a lot of money to do so. My guest uh, joining me shortly from North Carolina suggests that that scheme may actually backfire on Republicans. We will see. For the moment, however, nationally, there is some very good news for Bernie Sanders and his supporters from uh, Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac late on Monday night in the wake of the Iowa caucuses. Uh, there has been a dramatic shift in the national Democratic primary race for president as Bernie Sanders claims frontrunner status for the first time nationally overtaking former Vice President Joe Biden, according to a Quinnipiac University national poll uh, released on Monday. Sanders gets 25 percent of the vote among Democratic voters and independent voters who lean Democratic. Biden gets just 17 at this point, with former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg vaulting into third place with 15 percent. That is a that's a big change for Bloomberg, and it seems that he's taking a lot of Biden's supporters in the bargain. Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, right behind Bloomberg at 14 percent. Then former South uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg gets 10 percent. Amy Klobuchar gets 4 percent. No other candidate tops 2 percent at this point. But that is a big shakeup nationally. And, but, of course, as I always warn, we do not run national elections. We run state-by-state state elections. But as this shows Sanders taking the top slot for the first time in a national poll, according to the very well-respected Quinnipiac survey, I think it's uh, certainly noteworthy. In uh, January, prior to the Iowa caucuses, Biden was in uh, had a modest lead. He had 26 percent of the vote while Sanders had 21. But now it's Sanders at 25. Biden slipping to 17 percent. 
That's a huge change and bad news for the vice president. But here is another interesting data point from this survey that caught my eye. According to Quinnipiac, among self-identified moderates and conservative Democrats and Democratic leaners, in other words, these leaners are folks who are not even sure if they are Democrats at all. They may be independent. They may be Republican, but they're currently leaning towards favoring Democrats. So this is a pretty centrist, conservative subset of Democrats here. Among this moderate group, there is now a close race for the top spot. This group had favored Biden by a wide margin. But today, among this conservative group of Democrats, Biden is receiving 22 percent. Bloomberg is getting 21 percent. And Bernie Sanders gets 17 percent followed by Pete Buttigieg, who gets only 12 percent. So even among Democratic conservatives, centrists, moderates, whatever you want to call them, Bernie Sanders is still very competitive, even running ahead of Buttigieg at the moment, uh, according to Quinnipiac. Moreover, Biden no longer dominates, as he had uh, previously did on the question of electability, 27 percent say Biden has the best chance of winning against Trump still. But that is down from 44 percent last month in January. That is a big drop. That's a huge drop. So 27 percent say Biden is most electable. Twenty four percent say it is Sanders. But this is a huge drop off in electability for Biden uh, since just late last month, 17 points, while Sanders has risen five points since Lance last month on that score. But again, these are national numbers uh, in those national numbers. All the uh, all six of the Democratic uh, leading Democratic candidates among registered voters lead Donald Trump in general election matchups by anywhere from four to nine points. But that's national. We do not run national elections. Hillary Clinton actually defeated Donald Trump nationally by a little bit more than two points, but she lost the Electoral College, reportedly. But I think those numbers are of note. Meanwhile, uh, during Donald Trump's Super Bowl super softball interview with Sean Hannity, uh, you may recall that uh, Trump ridiculously described Bernie Sanders as a communist— Remember that? Previewing uh, just a little bit of how Donald Trump plans to run against the independent Vermont senator if he is the nominee. Of course, Sanders is a self-described Democratic socialist, which is very different from communist, unless you're a Republican and you think that it's all the same thing. Uh, anyway, appearing on Fox News himself on Sunday with Chris Wallace, uh, Sanders was asked how he plans to overcome the socialist label that Vice President Joe Biden at Friday's debate joined Republicans and Team Trump in using to criticize Sanders. In a general election where you're going to need the support not just of liberal, progressive, left-wing Democrats, but you're also going to need the support of independents, even conceivably some moderate Republicans. How do you overcome not the communist label, Good. but the socialist label, which which Joe Biden right. said, okay. not Donald Trump? Right. Right. That's fair enough, Chris. And I, I want to make two points on that. Number one, in many respects, in many respects, we are a socialist society today. We have a huge budget, puts money into all areas. Now, Donald Trump, before he was president as a private business person, he received $800 million in tax breaks and subsidies 
to build luxury housing in New York. Now, what does that mean when the government gives you $800 million in tax breaks and subsidies? The fossil fuel industry, whose product happens to be destroying our planet right now, receives tens and tens of billions of dollars in tax breaks and subsidies. So does the pharmaceutical industry. The difference between my socialism and Trump's socialism is I believe that government should help working families, not billionaires. So I believe that health care is a human right. I believe we should raise the minimum wage to a living wage of 15 bucks an hour. I believe, in fact, that the rich must start paying their fair share of taxes when you have massive levels of income and wealth inequality. But, 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 anyway, that's how <laughs> Sanders, for now, is responding to that charge. And on the same day, over on uh, CBS's Face the Nation host, Margaret Brennan, uh, borrowed a, a false talking point uh, that comes straight from the healthcare industry and the Republican Party to claim that Sanders' plan for Medicare for all, essentially expanding our current much beloved Medicare system for seniors to all Americans, that that amounts to a government takeover of healthcare. Here's Sanders' response to Brennan. But you're advocating for the empowerment of the U.S. government to take over the entire health care system. Uh, this just optically no, looks hold it, like hold it. the Margaret, party Margaret, can't Margaret, run its own Margaret, caucus. Margaret, that's not a true statement. I'm not advocating for the United States government to take over the health care system. What I am advocating for is an expansion of Medicare. Medicare exists. Right. I want to expand Which would be it over administered a by the U.S. W government. Precisely, just as Medicare is right now. But it, but it's not a takeover. People will still go to the same doctor. They'll go to the same hospital. We will substantially lower the cost of prescription drugs. The cost per person will go down. Right, People but, will be paying but less I think the, the but it's not a the... takeover. It's Keep not, trying, Margaret. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not just Margaret though. We're going to hear that from a lot of people. Yes, we heard that from Obama in Obamacare that it was a government takeover of health care. Government takeover of, uh, of the nation's healthcare system would be something akin to the National Health Service in Great Britain, you know, where doctors actually work for the government. That's not what Bernie Sanders is talking about. Or even like the American VA program, which Republicans sometimes refer to as the gold standard for medical care for our vets, unless they're, you know, busy trying to privatize it. So Sanders' plan for Medicare for All is nothing like either of those systems, but it hasn't stopped mainstream corporate media and Donald Trump and the Republican Party and sadly some Democrats from labeling it as such. But it is often said in politics, if you are explaining, you are losing. For now, however, uh, Bernie Sanders, even though explaining, he appears to be winning, at least according to that latest national poll from Quinnipiac and uh, his win in last week's Democratic caucus in Iowa, that even as Republicans are claiming they would most like to run against a progressive who supports programs like Medicare for All and the Green New Deal and other so-called socialist proposals, you know, socialist proposals akin to Social Security and Medicare, which are wildly popular with the American people of all parties. So will that strategy by Republicans work to harm Sanders and other progressives at the ballot box this year? Or is the effort a little more than a bluff by Republicans to frighten Americans against voting for progressive Democratic candidates? 
Well, it may or may not be a bluff, but some Republicans are putting their money where their mouth is on this one, actually spending millions to help progressive candidates win uh, at least one progressive candidate to win a key nomination this year in one key U.S. Senate primary coming up in just a few weeks. Let's take a quick break here. Come back with Dr. William Busa in North Carolina, otherwise known as Doc Dog, on the GOP effort to prop up a progressive Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate before the critical March 3rd Super Tuesday primary in the state, where the winner of that primary will face off against the very vulnerable incumbent Republican Senator Tom Tillis in the Tar Heel State this November. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Wow, Jolson, two days in a row, two different songs. It must be my lucky week. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, we will be going to both North and South Carolina in a moment. But one clear winner has emerged so far from the Democratic presidential contest, at least according to strategists aligned with President Donald Trump. That would, of course, be Donald Trump. That is the thinking, at least as reported by NBC News today, among Republican strategists as Joe Biden's poll numbers have declined and a two-way race between Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg appeared to emerge ahead of Tuesday's Democratic primary in New Hampshire. We'll find out what actually happened in New Hampshire on tomorrow's uh, broadcast. Nonetheless, that uh, two-way race is yielding what the Trump campaign, anyway, sees as a best-case scenario for Donald Trump. And Trump himself appears to agree. Speaking at a rally on primary eve on Monday night in Manchester, New Hampshire, he said, if you want to vote for a weak candidate tomorrow, go ahead suggesting his supporters were free to sabotage the Democratic vote since his victory in the Republican contest was all but certain. Pick one. Pick the weakest one you think, he said. I don't know who that is, he told the crowd. Privately, Trump campaign advisors acknowledged that Bernie Sanders comes with strengths that could pose a threat were he to be the nominee. Still, in public, Trump's allies say they see the prospect of a face-off with Sanders as so appealing that they have been making moves to help boost Sanders' primary season support, if only to see uh, the Democratic contest continued all the way to the convention with Sanders battling a candidate backed by the establishment wing of the party. NBC says they are looking to help fuel divisions within the party in hopes that Sanders supporters will stay at home in 2020 or even vote for Donald Trump if they feel that the Democratic Party unfairly denied Sanders the nomination. 
If anything, Republicans are trying to prop Bernie up right now, talking about how it is rigged against him, said a person close to the Trump campaign. Donald Trump Jr. was quick to accuse the Democratic Party of a conspiracy to rob Sanders of a victory after the Iowa caucuses melted down last week. Even while, as we noted on our previous broadcast, there is no evidence to support the idea that the failures last week in Iowa were part of some scheme by the Democrats to hurt Sanders. OMG, there's nothing the DNC won't do to nuke Bernie again. Incredible, Trump Jr. tweeted. The president himself has repeatedly hit that same theme, tweeting, I think they're trying to take it away from Bernie again. Actually, he said that at a Manchester at the uh, rally in Manchester on Monday. Can you believe it? They're doing it again, Bernie. Trump lied to his gullible crowd of loyal followers. But it is not just Trump and his campaign who are pretending to support Bernie Sanders. The strategy seems to be spreading to Republican operatives around the country. According to Charleston's Post and Courier in South Carolina last week, a group of prominent South Carolina Republicans are preparing to launch a wide-scale effort to encourage GOP voters across the state to vote for Bernie Sanders in the February 29 Democratic primary there. The Republican plan to impact the Democratic race emerges just weeks before the first in the South primary. It has two goals, according to the Post and Courier, to boost the candidate who the Republicans believe presents the weakest general election threat to Donald Trump and to pressure Democrats to support closing state primaries in the future. Currently, Democrats in the Palmetto State run an open primary that voters of any party may vote in as long as they don't vote in a separate primary of a different party. But with Republicans this year having canceled their primary, uh, their voters are free to participate in the Democratic race if they feel like it. The group is spreading that message across Republican social media in South Carolina, pushing it on right-wing talk radio shows. Greenville GOP chair Nate Layup told the Post and Courier, quote, Bernie Sanders is the most socialistic liberal candidate running in the Democratic presidential preference primary. So we feel we can make a strong point that our Democratic state legislators need to help work to close our primaries so it protects them as well as the Republican brand. Of course, the idea is inspired in part by right-wing radio host Rush Limbaugh's Operation Chaos that you may recall from way back in 2008 when he encouraged Republicans to vote for Hillary Clinton over Barack Obama in the Democratic primaries in order to keep her in the race and sow division among Democrats. I think we can easily affect the outcome, the Republican layup said. This is going to catch on like wildfire. And it is not only in the presidential contest where Republicans are hoping to support the most progressive candidate for one reason or another. On the other side of the border, in North Carolina, a similar effort appears to be underway. And this one, uh, the Republicans are reportedly putting their money where their mouth is, according to the Charlotte Observer in North Carolina. A new super PAC called the Faith and Power PAC is spending 
$1.6 million on TV ads across the state on behalf of Democratic U.S. candidate, uh, U.S. Senate candidate Erica Smith. She is a progressive state senator who currently lags far behind her main Democratic establishment-supported competitor in fundraising. The PAC's filing with the FEC indicates it has now spent more than $2.4 million on media placement, production, printing, postage, and phone calls on behalf of Erica Smith, the Democrat. Based on the group's media buyer, treasurer, and other factors investigated by The Observer, the effort is tied to Republicans. The buy is significant in a primary that so far has only seen TV spending for Smith's centrist Democratic rival, Cal Cunningham. Uh, the two are among five Democrats who face off in the state's March 3rd Super Tuesday primary, hoping to face incumbent Republican Senator Tom Tillis, seen as a very vulnerable Republican in this fall's general election. Senator Smith was a guest on this program a couple months ago, discussing her strong opposition to North Carolina's recent certification of 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems which the largest and most diverse county in the state, Mecklenburg, for some reason, plans to use this year for the first time, incredibly enough. Last week, Smith issued a statement about this uh, huge ad buy on her behalf by Republicans, declaring this entity is not authorized to represent our views and positions in any media format in our campaign. To those pondering the rumor that Republicans are supporting me, because Tom Tillis thinks he has a better chance of beating me in the general, I have just one question. When was the last time Tom Tillis was right about anything? Here's the ad that the right-wing Faith and Power Pack is now said to be running across the state of North Carolina. Who's the Democrat for U.S. Senate endorsed by progressives and unions? Erica Smith. Who's got the courage to vote for Medicare for all? Erica Smith. The number one supporter of the Green New Deal? Erica Smith again. Erica Smith is one of us. A high school educator, engineer, state senator, and ordained minister. Erica Smith is the real deal. Vote Democrat Erica Smith for U.S. Senate. The only proven progressive. Faith and Power Pack is responsible for the content of this advertising. She's one of us. That from a Republican political action committee called Faith and Power Pack. North Carolina State uh, Rep Cecil Brockman, a supporter of Smith's Democratic primary rival Cunningham, said the fact that Washington Republicans are trying to meddle in our Democratic primary should outrage every Democrat in North Carolina. This is the latest desperate sign that Republicans are scared to run against Cal Cunningham, he said. In a fundraising email last week, Cunningham's campaign also alluded to the ad charging that Washington Republicans are running scared, shady groups with ties to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the Koch Network have already dumped huge sums of money trying uh, to, to save our opponent. Well, are they really trying to save their opponent or are they just trying to sow discord among Democrats? Joining us now for some insight on all of this in North Carolina and across the country as right wingers are at least pretending to help 
progressives win primaries in presidential and senatorial races, and at least in North Carolina are spending a lot of money to do it, is one of the smartest progressive minds in all of North Carolina. Our old friend, Dr. William Busa, known as the beloved Doc Dog to folks over at Daily Coast. Uh, Dr. Bill is a North Carolina-focused campaign consultant and founder of EQV Analytics, a campaign data analysis firm. He's also founder of ncgovote.org's RegWatch system, which helps state voters learn when their voter registration has changed for reasons either legitimate or nefarious. Uh, and he is also a one-time consultant for the Erica Smith campaign, as I recall. Hey, Doc Dog, welcome back to the broadcast, amigo. Hey, Brad, good to be here. So what is going on here, Bill? I, I'd love to say the uh, Republicans are bluffing with their strategy to support Bernie Sanders in the presidential race, Erica Smith in her primary against the uh, leading uh, uh, centrist Democrat there in the U.S. Senate race. But for the fact that, you know, they are actually willing to spend a lot of money in the case of Smith, about two and a half million dollars. So it's not really a bluff, I guess. What's really going on here, Bill? Are they scared of uh, Cunningham, as he claims? Do they really think progressives are easier to beat? Or is this just an attempt to monkey wrench the whole Democratic process in North Carolina before the Super Tuesday primary there next month? Well, I don't think anyone really knows what's going on there. But uh, to me, the most important question is, is this 11-dimensional chess or is this tic-tac-toe that they're playing? And I, I'm I'm not entirely sure which it is, but I, I, uh, I don't think it's 11-dimensional chess. I mean, look, uh, <laughs> Republicans and Democratic candidates trying to choose their opponents is, I'm told by folks who've been in the political game much longer than I have, nothing new at mm -hmm. all. So this is, this is not something new we're seeing. As you know, most of the people listening here probably recall Claire McCaskill mm -hmm. uh, supported her Republican opponent in his primary, mm -hmm. uh, Todd, Todd Aiken. Todd Aikens, that's right, yeah. in 2012, after he had uh, come out with that great line about uh, the female body has that whole way of shutting things down when a woman gets raped right. she doesn't get pregnant. Right. <laughs> Although she was, a, 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 I don't know if we can call it a little more honest, her, her ads that she ran uh, in support of Aiken actually were ads, as I recall, saying uh, Todd Aiken is just too conservative for Missouri. And they talked sure. about how he's too conservative, hoping to uh, interest uh, actual right-wingers to say, well, if he's too conservative, I'll take him. But, uh, <laughs> but I take your point, yeah. Now, with, with respect to the, the Erica Smith situation mm -hmm. and this uh, Faith and Power Pack, I have looked into this, and I can't figure out what's going on. We automatically assume that it's Republican-associated PAC, and there's, there are some reasons that have been suggested. First off, the, their bank, Chain Bridge Bank, mm -hmm. that they do business with, is often done business with by Republican PACs. The um, ad firm Nalen and Partners that has been spending their money on ads has in the past done uh, work for Republican campaigns. The interesting thing that nobody's reported in the news yet, though, people have noted that the treasurer of record for, for Faith and Power PAC, Ezekiel Patterson, there's only one Ezekiel Patterson registered to vote in North Carolina, mm -hmm. and he's a Republican. Right. What they haven't noted, however, is that that Ezekiel Patterson is 19 years old. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think you set up a 19-year-old to be the treasurer of a $2.5 million PAC. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, but to counter this, Bill, if it was actually 
uh, a democratic progressive group, they would be out there proudly saying we are uh, making this ad buy because we believe uh, Erica Smith oh, yeah. is oh, the yeah. best. So the fact yeah, that I, it's so mysterious sort of underscores that this is Republicans or I suppose it could be Cal Cunningham. But I but I don't think so. Well, I, I, I'm certainly not suggesting that it's progressives doing this. But I think the interesting point is because the person listed as treasurer is almost not certainly not the treasurer, mm-hmm. there may have been fraud involved in mm. the FEC filings for this thing, which, which I hope reporters are looking into right now. But with respect to the question of, of what's going on, you know, Claire McCaskill did it because it was clear that uh, Todd Akins was, was the Republican she wanted to run against. Mm-hmm. He was the best Republican for her to run against, and, and history proved that to be correct. In the case of Tom Tillis, I think it's too clever by half. If Tom Tillis or his supporters are indeed behind the advertising for Erica Smith, I, I think they may be shooting themselves in the foot. I don't think it's a safe bet. If if Erica Smith, I mean, I'm an Erica Smith backer, mm-hmm. because I think she can run the strongest race against Tom Tillis. North Carolina is an increasingly purple state. Being progressive here is not the, uh, the death sentence that it is in South Carolina or Alabama or mm-hmm. someplace like that. Tillis is so unpopular in this state. Among Republicans, not only not only Democrats, but also Republicans, he's so unpopular that he really stands a very strong chance of losing to whoever the Democrats prop up as their candidate. The important thing about Erica Smith is she is a black woman, mm-hmm. and she will be probably the most highly placed on the ticket black person on, on the ballot in, uh, in 2020. Uh, who, who wins in North Carolina is always determined by how the black vote turns out. Mm-hmm. If there's very, very strong black turnout, as there was in 2012, Obama won, and mm-hmm. uh, whoever is the, the Democratic uh, candidate in 2020 will win as well if there's very strong black turnout. If there's weak black turnout, the Republican always wins. So this may be 11 D, unintentionally 11-D-dimensional chess, and I think mm-hmm. Tom Tillis has made the wrong move if, uh, if he's behind this. Because Cal Cunningham, uh, I guess we need to point out, is a white guy. And this would put a, a a black woman and a very strong black woman. I was quite impressed with her uh, when we had her on the show a few months back. Put a, a black woman at least near the top of the ticket in North Carolina, which is like the most closely divided state in the union, it seems, year after year. So it does not seem like it actually makes sense to help Erica Smith at least if she's able to win. If she's not able to win, perhaps the thinking is, well, this has you know, helped boost discord within the, uh, the, the North Carolina Democratic uh, Party. Is, is, is that a possible uh, strategy here that they're thinking? I don't think anybody seriously believes that, well, if Erica Smith doesn't get the, uh, get the nomination, I'm going to stay home and not vote. I haven't, I haven't heard that kind of Bernie bro sort of talk here in North Carolina with yeah. regards to, to Erica Smith. So I would doubt that that would be a motivation. Well, the common thread here, uh, Bill Busa, in, in, in both this North Carolina case, the South Carolina case I mentioned, where they're encouraging people uh, in the primary, down, re- encouraging Republicans in the primary to vote for Bernie Sanders, and uh, those Trump campaign advisors who are you know, leaking to the media about how much they'd love to run against Bernie Sanders, the common thread seems to be that they think 
that, uh, for example, those who support Medicare for all and the Green New Deal, as you heard in that spot, uh, that they will be easier to beat in uh, both of those states, North Carolina and perhaps nationally in the presidential race. Uh, Do they have a point, Bill? I think it depends on the state, and I think it depends on the candidate. Here in North Carolina, I think they're wrong to be eager to run against progressives. And all you have to do to, to document that is to look at the 2018 election here in North Carolina. That was a blue moon election year in North Carolina. There were no uh, federal uh, contests running, and mm-hmm. there was no governorship running. So uh, the highest bat race on the ballot was the Supreme Court justice seat, which I happen to work on the campaign of Anita Earls, mm-hmm. the woman who was elected to that seat. She is a, uh, a frank progressive. I almost said flaming progressive. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think, let's just say frank progressive. Okay. She's a black woman, and she won. You know, uh, she won against a white woman Republican incumbent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I think that's clear evidence that progressives can win in North Carolina, and progressives have won in North Carolina, and it happens not infrequently. So, in North Carolina, I think it's a bad strategy for the Republicans. And I wonder if, uh, I guess the, the big question is, do Republicans really believe any of this? In other words, are they, uh, you know, really trying to warn people about these dangerous progressives and their uh, threat to give health care to everybody? Or are they <laughs> or are they playing a game of chicken here, sort of pretending that they think the uh, more progressive they are, the easier that they will be to beat. But in fact, what they're doing is hoping to scare, uh, you know, scare off Democrats from supporting them. Under your 117 chess, uh, dimensional chess, uh, could that be what this is about, scaring Democrats? Because you do hear a similar argument, uh, Bill, from, you know, more moderate establishment type Democrats who seem scared to death of a Bernie Sanders nomination or even Elizabeth Warren nomination, for that matter. Uh, You're a data guy. Is there any data out there that you are aware of to support that 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 concern? I don't know of reliable data about that, but again, if we look back at the 2018 uh, campaign of Anita Earls, the Republicans actually created some mystery websites and did mystery mailings, uh, painting her as a justice who was going to release gang members from prison, (laughs) because she had, in in her previous legal career, represented some ex-gang members. Mm -hmm. It didn't scare Democrats at that point. I don't think it's going to scare Democrats at this point. Um, it's just it's a bad strategy. I think it's a strategy that reflects Republican Party and Republican candidates who have more money than brains. <laughs> should should parties uh, be meddling like this in other parties' primaries? None of this, as you said, is is new. And uh, Democrats like Claire McCaskill have done something similar. Uh, should parties be doing meddling like this in other parties' primaries, or is this just now part of you know hardball American politics at this point? Well, let me ask you this: in back in 2012, mm-hmm. when you heard of Claire McCaskill's strategy. Mm-hmm. What was your first thought? Was it, oh, gosh, that's wrong. She shouldn't do that. Or, wow, that's clever. I hope it works. What was your response? I, I don't recall. I mean, I, I remember uh, noticing how impressed she was with herself for doing it. She didn't hide <laughs> uh, sort of the same way that uh, the Republicans in North Carolina seem to be doing. As a, as a matter of fact, I, I, don't, I don't think it was a, a super PAC. I think it said at the end, paid for by Claire McCaskill. 
Yeah. So it was at least a little bit more honest. But, you know, I've heard of Democrats saying, oh, let me uh, vote in a Republican primary to try to screw them up by, you know, choosing their worst candidate. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess it's just part of politics at this point in 2020 America. Well, it's just been just part of politics since Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Politics is a muscular sport in a democracy, and anything you can do within the law that's going to give you an advantage, Mm -hmm. you do it. I was, you know, quite impressed, actually, with uh, Erica Smith, when uh, Senator Smith, when we had her on the show a few months back. As a state senator in North Carolina, she it seems like she should be drawing more support and more dollars on her own without help from uh, shady Republican super PACs uh, than than businessman Cal Cunningham, uh, who is the D.C. Democrat's choice. Why is she not doing better in the state in raising money and in polling? She lags far behind Cunningham uh, by both measures. And I think uh, a recent uh, PPP poll said uh, Cunningham has 29% support currently to just 10% for uh, Erica Smith. Any explanation for that, as you see it? <laughs> well, you know, when the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee uh, coronated Cal Cunningham as their chosen candidate in this campaign, they cut off access thereby, uh, Erica Smith's access to typical million-dollar donors, to leadership PAC money, mm-hmm. to the mailing lists that it takes and the phone lists that it takes to contact voters throughout the state. Uh, it really is a stranglehold when the when the DSCC does that kind of interference in, in the primary. Now, when you think about it, uh, we've been talking about Republicans interfering in Democratic primaries. It's it's really not all that different from Democrats interfering in Democratic primaries, mm-hmm. from the Democratic Party interfering in Democratic par- mm-hmm. uh, primaries. I won't take any position on whether Bernie has been uh, pilloried by the Democratic Party and unfairly uh, worked against. But I do know in the case of Erica Smith, it's it's been brutally unfair what the DSCC has done to her. They've cut off access to money. Without money, you can't get name recognition throughout the state. Without name recognition, you can't get voters saying they're going to vote for you in the polls. Enter the Republican Party now, granting Erica Smith that name recognition. It's an interesting game of chess. It is very interesting. Uh, very quickly, Bill, before we get out, uh, why is why did the Democratic uh, Senatorial Campaign Committee, the DSCC, why did they support Cunningham so early in the uh, in the primary season? Why did they take sides at all? Well, you know, there was a story about Chuck Schumer calling in uh, all the people who sounded like they might be interested in running and from North Carolina and interviewing them one by one. And Jeff Jackson related the story that uh, Schumer asked him what he wanted to do in his campaign, and Jackson said, well, I want to go to all 100 counties. I want to meet with voters. I want to talk with them about their concerns. And Schumer cut him off in mid-sentence and said, wrong answer. I want you to sit in a windowless basement and call on the phone for donations. And that's all I want you to do. Leave the rest of it to us. We'll run attack ads, millions of dollars of attack ads against Tillis, and you'll win. And Jackson said, no, I'm really not interested in that. And apparently a lot of other potential candidates who were told the same thing, presumably, by Schumer, also weren't interested in that. Mm. Cal Cunningham was the guy who said, hell yes, where do I sign? <laughs> so, And he has a lot of money on his own as well, does he not? Uh, uh, I don't know that. He, he's a corporate lawyer, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a small corporation. I don't know that he's made of money. He's, he's, not, he's not missing any meals.
Uh, as uh, mentioned, uh, I was impressed with Senator Smith when she was on the show a month or two ago with a very strong position for hand-marked paper ballot uh, systems in North Carolina. She was strongly against the unverifiable ballot marking device touchscreens, uh, which incredibly the Board of Elections in North Carolina uh, certified in the first place and the Board of Elections in the state's largest and most diverse jurisdiction, Mecklenburg County, home to Charlotte, uh, decided to use it anyway. I kind of want to ask you, what the hell are they? Uh, what what the hell are they thinking? Are they actually going to be using these touchscreen systems uh, come March third, Super Tuesday, in North Carolina? Well, I reject the premise of your question. What the hell are they thinking? I don't think they're thinking at all. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> It's the way Mecklenburg has done it for uh, dogs' years. They've used voting machines, and they're going to use voting machines again. Even though it's it's uh, simpler to administer an election with handmarked paper ballots mm-hmm. read by a tabulator, they I don't know if there's payoffs involved. I don't know if it's just a matter of, well, this is the way we've always done it, so we're going to continue to do it. But Mecklenburg is addicted to voting machines. Every county gets to choose whether it's a, what form of voting it's going to launch in North Carolina. We've got to break that addiction. Uh, last question before I let you go, Bill. The uh, you know after Iowa, never mind the mess that came out of using, you know, new, untested, secretly developed, unnecessary computer tech in a mission critical election, just as Mecklenburg is preparing to do in North Carolina. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I've I've seen a, a number of media folks comment on the fact that turnout in Iowa is not particularly any larger than it was in 2016. Uh, does that concern? Why do you think after you know three horrific years of Donald Trump, why is that happening? Should Democrats be more concerned uh, about what appears to be flat turnout from just a couple of years ago? I think I would imagine, and I know from some of my friends, that a lot of progressives in particular are burned out, numb, and shell-shocked from the last three years. I hope that that doesn't extend to very large percentages of progressive Democrats, but uh, that might be part of the explanation. Now, I'm looking at North Carolina numbers on early voting. We haven't started our early vote, our early in-person voting yet, Mm -hmm. but absentee by mail voting has already started, and the numbers are way down from 2016 Mm -hmm. in terms of the number of absentee by mail ballots that have been uh, Mm -hmm. submitted so far. That's based on very small numbers. There's only a few thousand ballots that have been sent in so far, so I'm not too concerned about that yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that reflects discouragement on voters' parts or disinterest, or whether you'll recall we had a scandal in 2019 uh, about mm-hmm. the mishandled absentee-by-mail ballots that uh, has ended up uh, getting several Republican uh, functionaries uh, accused mm-hmm. of uh, various felonies. I think that that, as well, may have soured a number of North Carolina voters against using absentee-by-mail ballots. The problem being, if those people are, are soured against those, many of them voted absentee-by-mail ballots because they were either old people or people who simply couldn't get out and about to get to the polls. So if they don't vote absentee-by-mail, they may not vote at all. So we're going to lose some voters this year, I think, just due to the fact that absentee-by-mail has been discouraged by the bad news that came out in 2019. I'm going to But overall, yeah. Overall, I think the Democratic turnout 
is going to be fabulous in 2020. I'm not concerned about that. Yeah, I'm going to cling to the idea that many Democrats are happy with whoever ends up being the nominee uh, and are uh, holding their fire for November. At least I'm going to hold on to that for a while. Dr. Bill Busey, you can find him over at DailyCoast.com, writing under the pseudonym DocDog. You can also find his work at EQVanalytics.com and on the Twitters at Analytics. EQV. Hey, thanks, Bill. Always great talking to you, my friend. Uh, I suspect we'll talk again uh, once we get a little bit uh, closer or beyond the North Carolina primary in a few weeks. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Okay, got to take a break, and we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I don't even have time to let the bumper music finish, Desi yes, Doyen. I know. Let's we are get to late. it. Our latest Green News Report. All bushfires across the state should be out by the end of the week. Good news and bad news in Australia as destructive storms extinguish catastrophic wildfires. This new study tells us that climate change is having a dramatic effect on bumblebee populations. Sharp decline in bumblebees explained, plus... Everybody wants to get into our market. And that's how we convince them that they've got to be right on climate, too. Climate change through the lens of trade at the New Hampshire Democratic Debate. All of those stories and more in sharp focus straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Let's not get down too much. There is good news. Antarctica is 65 degrees right now, which means we're all going to die soon. (laughs) (laughs) See? Cheer up. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, seriously, it was 65 degrees in Antarctica. That was warmer than it was on the same day out here in Beverly Hills, apparently. Yeah, so if you want to escape the winter blues, go ahead and head on over to Antarctica. (laughs) Scientists there recorded a balmy 65 degrees, a new record high. And days later, NASA announced that yet another massive iceberg has broken off of the Pine Island Glacier in Mm. West Antarctica. It's the latest in a series of increasingly frequent calving events in the rapidly warming polar region. Calving, of course, is when the iceberg breaks off. Yes. Okay. Good news and bad news in Australia. The good news is that torrential rains have doused most of the catastrophic bushfires rampaging across the east coast of Australia over the last several months. The bad news is that the storms brought the heaviest downpours in 30 years in some areas, triggering flash floods that destroyed roads, bridges, and power lines. So the worst natural disaster Australia has ever experienced was replaced with a more run 
front of the bill, natural disaster. Wow. It's just uh, one thing after another for uh, poor Australia. It's like the epicenter of our climate crisis down there. And Australia's insurance industry estimates that these new storms have caused nearly $50 million in damages, and that's on top of more than $2 billion in fire losses. They cannot win for losing or lose for winning down under. In the northern hemisphere, bumblebees are disappearing because of climate change. A disturbing new study has found that the number of regions in North America and Europe populated by bumblebees has dropped by nearly 50 percent since 1900. The researchers say the slow-moving bumblebees can't tolerate these more frequent intense heat waves that we're seeing with global warming, and they are not moving into cooler habitats fast enough. The scientists say it's another way that climate change is putting ecosystems at risk because bumblebees, like honeybees, are crucial pollinators. But they do say that everyday people can help by putting more native flowering plants into their gardens. Meanwhile, action on climate change was barely covered in the final 2020 Democratic debate before the New Hampshire primary. Yeah, after it came up a whole bunch in the previous debate, almost nothing about it in the more recent one. Yeah, and this time it was mostly because the seven candidates found ways to insert it into their answers. Here's Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders on military spending. But maybe, just maybe, given the crisis of climate change, the world can understand that instead of spending $1.8 trillion a year collectively on weapons of destruction designed to kill each other, maybe we pool our resources and fight our common enemy, which is climate change. Now nah, we'll just keep putting $1.8 trillion per year into killing each other. The ABC News moderators asked only one climate-related-ish question (laughs) tied to President Trump's USMCA trade agreement with Canada and Mexico. Senator Sanders and billionaire Tom Steyer rejected the agreement because it doesn't mention climate change. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar both defended their votes in favor of the pact because of modest but immediate gains for workers. They said that future trade agreements can provide significant leverage. Here's Warren. Everyone wants to get to the American market. We should be raising standards on climate around the world to get access to our market. And here is Klobuchar. When it comes to climate change, I think we have to have a North American trading block. Uh, We have to have uh, Mexico and Canada and America working together. And in fact, the European Union has proposed a carbon border tax, new tariffs on imported foreign goods from countries that don't take action to cut emissions from their manufacturing, like the United States. I cannot wait until we do not have... President crazy pants in the White House any longer, and we can actually debate these ideas and think about which ones make the most sense, which ones can be passed, which ones can't. Oh, that day can't come soon enough. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Mm. 
I hope so. Me too. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my guest today, Bill Busa of EQV Analytics in North Carolina, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day with us. You can download our shows anytime for free at bradblog.com. And our thanks to those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. You can find, follow, and share what I do, I hope you will, on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And my email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow with New Hampshire results, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.